Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 2, Primal Urges, which was written by Wesley Wilde and directed by Kevin Hooks. Some new names. I know, new, two new names. I like to see it. Mm-hmm. We have a new review. Yay! This one comes from Pia Loves Music, who says, The best Orville podcast out there. It goes on to say, I love everything about this podcast, from the amazing and wonderful hosts, to the trivia tidbits, to the insightful and fun commentary on each episode, to the amazing interviews with people involved with producing the show. I can't say enough good things about the hands-down best Orville podcast out there. Keep up the good work, Katie and Rob. Oh my god, that is honestly some of the nicest stuff that someone could say about the podcast. It's very enthusiastic. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for your review. I, I don't know. It just it's really nice to see that people are enjoying what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Write more of them if you want. <laughs> you can also, if you'd like to send us feedback by emailing quantum drive at the on Twitter. You can follow us at quantum drive pod. And if you'd like to join us on discord, you go to the slash discord. And we have a quantum drive channel on there where you can talk about the show and the Orville itself. Before we talk about the episode, Katie's got trivia. I sure do. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is that a science consultant, Andre Romanis, said the spectrum of the red giant star that appears in the first part of the show Mm -hmm. is actually the real spectrum from a star. Really? And I thought that was really neat. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting thing when the science matches up in like a fictional world Mm -hmm. and that they put the work in yeah plus it looked really good oh i was like just mesmerized during that whole for opening sequence i was just like i could look at this all day they're some of the best space scenes we've seen in the show so far Mm -hmm. like when the oh i don't want to like get ahead of ourselves (laughs) with the evaporation of the atmosphere like all of that was really phenomenal super cool so this is a fun fact. There are gloves that Bordas wears in this episode, and I believe it's in the unique spacesuit he wore going down to the planet's surface. And they said it is an Icon Hypersport Pro short glove with the black knuckles just painted white. So like an athletic glove? I believe so. Oh. I just I think it's interesting when props come from our world and they just change one little thing about it. Yeah, we've seen some of that repurposing. We had talked about the binoculars that Gordon used before. Mm-hmm. This is, I think it's a very popular sports glove. If you look it up, they're about $65 to $90. I I looked into it a little bit, but it is interesting that you can take things from our world and just change one thing. And then it's like, oh, it's futuristic now. Totally, totally. Uh, An interesting thing is an actress named Nana Visitor, who played Major Kira on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. She was originally supposed to play Minister Thies. Yeah. But... She didn't get the role because her agent forgot to tell her about it. That is a missed opportunity. Mm Hmm. I wonder what kind of conversation she and her agent had after that. I'm sure it wasn't a nice one. I actually saw an interview where she talked about this and she did not seem even thrilled at this point with the fact that she missed out on being on the Orville. So I'm hoping they find a spot for her in the future. I hope so, too. I I mean, it's a sad story, and she's such a big part of Deep Space Nine that I think she deserves a spot, maybe, in a future episode, hopefully. Anytime we see Star Trek alum on the Orville, it's super exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. So we all know and loved and met a new character in this episode, Lieutenant 
Unk. Um, <laughs> he was secretly performed by Seth MacFarlane. I believe it was just the vocals. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that was very interesting going into this episode and seeing what he was saying and stuff. But yeah, you would never know based on the voice that that's Seth MacFarlane, but super cool. No, yeah, I, I thought that was neat. So there is a scene in one of um, the erotic simulations mm -hmm. with Fortis and there's a prison guard. The prison guard is played by actor Jude B. Lanston. And apparently he struggled to spit convincingly on Macon with water that he told the actor to just spit on him directly. Oh, my God. And I was like, that's gross. But also, I guess if you're trying to get the scene done. You just got to do what you got to do. That and it, to be honest, he has so many prosthetics on that. It's yeah. almost like a shield. <laughs> I mean, what? I'm sure you can't like move your mouth in the same way. Yeah. With like prosthetic Mocklin makeup on. So they improvise. <laughs> I thought that was kudos to them. <laughs> <laughs> this was also interesting. Peter Macon, who plays Bordis, watched this episode with his mother. Oh. And he said that uh, it was a very not comfortable experience. <laughs> and um, he's quoted to say, we were just super silent the whole episode. I felt 14 all over again. Oh, man. That's like when you go to the movies with your parents <laughs> and you don't know that there's going to be a sex scene and then it's yep. super uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, I could see that. I think it's interesting that like, hey, mom, got a new episode out. Want to watch it with me? <laughs> just Also, like. You were in this, so you yeah. know what it's about. <laughs> I hope that he, like, prepped her. Like, just so you know, Mom, there's, like, some stuff in this. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all I have for trivia and facts this episode. But there are a couple little notable guest stars okay. that I found. The person who walks by is just a crew member, the unnamed Ensign, who says, Hi, Commander Tabordis, is actually associate producer Aaron McPherson. Oh, cool. Yeah, I thought that was neat. Another crew inclusion. Mm hmm. And then the person who did end up playing Minister Thies um, is an actress named Leslie Farah. And I was like, she looks so familiar. And I felt she was notable because I watched Pretty Little Liars and there's no shame in that. But she was uh, Veronica Hastings. She was a mother of one of the characters on the show. And she's done a lot of other parts in very various shows. But I thought that was neat that she was in this one, too. I have not seen Pretty Little Liars, but I guess uh, that is for me your One Tree Hill. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just watched all of it. And I, I mean, it's just it's a show that you start it. You cannot stop. Yeah, yeah. You get caught up in the drama. <laughs> <laughs> so those are all the guest stars from this week's episode. All right. Getting into the episode on the bridge of the Orville. The crew is watching an exploding red supergiant star slowly destroy the last remaining planet in its system. Bordis asks for permission to leave as his shift ends in 15 minutes and he's not feeling well. Ed comments that it's the third time this week he's done that. There was also another moment on the bridge where Isaac mentions, I think Alara mentioned like, oh, that poor little planet mm -hmm. kind of thing. And he, Isaac was talking about, I don't know why humans humanize inanimate objects. And I was like, I do that though. Like my car I've named Data. No surprise there. It's a green car. It's Data. It's even funnier that Isaac says that. And yet, what do we all do to Isaac? I humanize him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was interesting because it is something innately human in me that I like to humanize things around me. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I, I really enjoyed the discussion on this episode about, I don't know, with Isaac's interactions with people and understanding the human race a little bit more. Yeah. 
I know we mentioned it already, but I just I had written a note that like what an opening shot and every mm -hmm. every shot that includes the star in this episode is just amazingly done. It was really honestly beautiful. Like, yes, this planet is being swallowed up by this mm -hmm. giant, but it just looks really good. Yeah, it really, really does. I could watch space just like space, any simulations, anything. I could just watch it for hours. And so if they had just that on the screen for the whole episode, <laughs> I would have been fine. <laughs> As Bordis is walking through the corridor, he gets a call from Clyden asking him when he'll be home. Bordis tells him that he must go work late again. As he approaches the environmental simulator, he looks around quickly before going in. But Clyden made pudding. <laughs> we'll have pudding later. <laughs> we'll have pudding later. Clyden has always come across as a very aggressive mm. mate. And I, I mean, I understand he's just more, I don't know, he wants to spend time with Bordis. And it made me sad that Bordis was lying to Clyden. Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen someone receiving a communication by using like a wrist activated thing? I think so, because there is there isn't a lot of personal phone calls, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I think that's the first time that it's activated by a wrist device. Yeah, I don't I don't recall seeing it earlier, but just like Trek, it makes me wonder, like, is Bordis the only one that can hear that? If he's the only one that can hear that, how? Mm -hmm. Like, you have all those questions. It's the same thing with just, like, pushing the comm badge. Like, is that just for you? Why is it sometimes other people can hear and sometimes they can't? There's a lot yeah. of questions with that from just the technical standpoint. Maybe there's a chip that just gets installed at some point. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. And then depending on who's calling, if they select broadcast to everybody or broadcast to just this person, maybe there's just an option <laughs> where you call. Yeah, maybe. Oh, no, it's very fascinating. I'd love to have someone yeah. explain that to me at some point. <laughs> no, me too. At least what the thought process is behind it. Inside the simulator, Bordis begins a personal program that takes place at night near a campfire. Another Mocklin approaches him and the two romantically embrace. Later, Bordis arrives in his quarters and finds Clyden already lying down for the evening. He wakes up and complains to Bordis about how many hours he's been working lately. Both don't want to argue and Clyden asks Bordis to share the sexual event. Bordis refuses, claiming to be too tired, which frustrates Clyden. Because we have the information about what Bordis is doing, it's so it's it makes me a little sad. Mm -hmm. But Clyden is so aggressive. I mean, but I think it's just how Mocklins are with each other. Mm -hmm. And that's probably just the way they communicate. It just sounds more hostile. Yeah. Than say like, I mean, honestly, it's better. I'm thinking of like most typically those kind of situations where the person's like, why are you not talking to me? And Oh my God, what's happening? And instead it's just like, I've missed you. I would like to have the sexual event kind of thing. And <laughs> I, I think that's kind of an interesting look into Mocklin's, but it's also an interesting view of the situation. Yeah. And I mean, I'm disappointed in Bordis. I am too. Yeah. I found my, I, I felt sad because I was like, and he's lying. Like that's the thing too. Yeah. Is he's lying about it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, this might be an awkward question to ask, but I feel like a simulation is so different than watching something through a screen. Because he's an active participant. Yeah. And there's sensations and it's different. Mm -hmm. It's different than, I don't know. I just, so I wrote a question like, is it cheating? I would say technically no. Yeah. But it's still not the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> As we can clearly see. Because it is made up, but... Can you technically cheat <laughs> when there is 
really no other person involved. True. I it's just it's an interesting discussion point just because like it's different because in our society it's just most of the time it's a computer screen. Right. But in this reality, in this world, it's a simulation with things you can touch and feel and come up with and yeah. <laughs> I somehow had a thought we would get into this conversation involving this. Yeah. So okay, consider this then. Let's say it wasn't a simulation and it was a robot. Mm -hmm. Is that cheating? Mm. I guess the computer in our reality is a robot. So it's, I guess, no, but it just, it creates a different parallel because there's more to it than just like clicking a few buttons. Right. I just, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm just, I'm distilling it down to its simplest terms because mm -hmm. if it's really just a projection, because that is kind of what it is. It's just a solidified projection. Yeah. So that can't possibly be cheating. Now, if it started to go in a weird direction, we're like, I don't mm -hmm. know, you're a chief engineer on a starship and you fall in love with it, like other shows might have shown us before, uh -huh. then now feelings are getting involved and that becomes maybe something different. Mm -hmm. I just thought this was a very interesting concept for an episode because I don't really feel like it's been done. No. And so in my head, I was like sitting there like, how are Rob and I going to talk about this? <laughs> but it, it is it. I was very interested in how the conversation kept going on the episode. Mm. But mostly I was just disappointed that Bordis was lying to Clyden. Yeah. Also, I'm not at all surprised that Mocklins have a very formal sounding name for sex at all. <laughs> the sexual event. <laughs> Share the sexual event. <laughs> They propose it so formally. I know. The next morning at the breakfast table, Clyden asks Bordis to make more time for him. When Bordis says they'll discuss it later, Clyden gets angry and cites Ed and Kelly's divorce as a lesson that they should pay attention to to avoid a similar fate. As he leaves for his shift, Bordis agrees to share the evening meal. I also thought it was interesting because they did focus on Topa a lot mm -hmm. during this because Clyden was upset, like banging the table. And it's very much like human in a way. Where in our society, how the parents are can affect the children. And I mean, I kind of side with Clyde and he just wants the family to be together more. Mm. And I think I don't side with Boris because he's like, I'm working late. The captain's having me work so many hours, but he's instead sneaking away to the simulation. It would be a totally different situation if Boris was telling the truth and he was actually working yeah. a ton. But the fact that he's lying about it to go basically masturbating the simulator yeah. is the problem. <laughs> Which, when you really break it down... Yeah, I feel like I, I would have more sympathy for Bordas if it was, in fact, like the captain's just running him ragged on the bridge. Yeah. But it's not that. Yeah. As the crew continues to observe the planet, Isaac's scans discover the possibility of large amounts of Dysonium deposits beneath the surface. He and Lamar head to engineering to modify the tractor beam to be able to collect it once the planet breaks up. Bordis asks to leave early again, this time to spend the evening with Clyden. He appears to be headed in that direction, but turns around and once again enters the simulator. This time, a program puts Bordis in the role of a prisoner who's willing to do anything to be released by the Mocklin Guard. I, I just the way that the prison guard walked, too. Yes, I had a note about that, too. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, the simulations were really well done in the sense that they're very over the top. Mm -hmm. Porn scenarios. Yeah, basically. And I thought it was really funny that Bordis is just in his union uniform. <laughs> just like... He takes no time to get into the role play either. 
No, he's just like, all right, let's do this thing. Yeah. And I, it's it's just, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what to say about it. <laughs> I, I, I thought that one, like you said, this is probably the least formal Mocklin we've seen mm-hmm. in the way that he talks in the like heavy swagger he's got going on in his yeah. walk. And Bordis is so into the role play that he's using a fake name, Cheston. I, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Cheston. Of all the names, Cheston. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. I did find it interesting that he seemed to have every intent of doing what he said he was going to do, too. And then just at some point, walking back to his quarters, he was like, I can't fight the urge. And he just goes to take care of it. Mm-hmm. That's the point where you go, oh, he's like addicted to it. Yeah, he's got a problem. Mm-hmm. He's got a problem. It's crossed the line where it's affecting his life yep. now. Yep. And he couldn't resist the urge to go to the simulation and just all the scenarios he's got lined up. <laughs> he's prepared. I mean, <laughs> he's prepared. Back in his quarters, Bordis apologizes for being late. Despite Clyden saying he's been waiting for hours, Bordis insists he must go to bed. Clyden again asks to share the sexual event, which Bordis again refuses. As Bordis begins to fall asleep, Clyden approaches the bed and plunges a dagger into his chest. The first time I watched this episode, I was like, oh my God, they're killing Bordis? Yeah. And I had like a physical reaction like, oh my, what? I Don't kill Bordis, please. And watching it back this time, I, I knew like it's the divorce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it made me feel like, oh, no one's safe. <laughs> it's all of a like, sudden it's Game of Thrones in here. It's Game of Thrones. It's the Walking Dead. Like there's... There's an everybody's fair game, but I think it's really interesting that Mocklins can divorce each other by essentially murdering the other person. Yeah, that's a little extreme, but I suppose that is typical of their culture. Everything's a little mm-hmm. extreme and a little aggressive and again, very Klingon in a way. Yeah. The other thing, too, was Bordis got back to the room after like hours. Yeah. So he wasn't like gone for 30 minutes or Whatever. He was gone and the table was set and Topa was already in bed. And like it just Clyden is kind of hard for me to empathize with. But I was like, I feel bad for Clyden mm-hmm. in this episode, though. I feel like Bordis is a little bit more wavy on Mocklin culture and Clyden's very much like this is how we do yeah. things. And so it's on brand for Clyden to stab him. Absolutely. My brand is full on stabbing. When when I saw the stabbing for the first time, actually, because they cut to a commercial like right Mm -hmm. after it, I honestly thought they were going to have him come back with that like that gasp of waking up from a nightmare. I thought he was legit dead. Like I didn't think what was happening was real. And then when when Mm -hmm. they're in sick bay, I'm like, oh my god, he actually got stabbed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In sick bay, Doctor Finn and her team are rushing to save Bordis's life and barely manage to bring him back from the brink of death. Upon awakening, Bordis tells them that they shouldn't have saved him, as Clyden was simply divorcing him, and terminating your mate is the way that Mocklins go through with it. Do you think on a union ship they would have known this about their culture, though? I'm wondering how many Mocklins are in the union. Yeah. Because so far, Bordis is the only officer we've seen that's a union officer. I don't know if it's a widespread thing. They really haven't touched on that at all. No, because I was thinking there's got to be... Mocklins are not an elusive alien race like they're prevalent i was like this probably would be pretty common and controversial kind of like the gender change of their babies i wonder if mocklin divorces just are not that common i mean if you have to go to those extremes one would think that you do everything you possibly can to make it work yeah and i i wonder if 
Because I feel like the, the gender change isn't super talked about either until Topa. Right. And so I feel like maybe it's just kind of the Mocklins kind of keep it under wraps. I feel like they keep a lot of things under wraps. Mm-hmm. I think they have secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac contacts Mercer and informs him that he may have found evidence of a previous subterranean civilization on the planet. Unfortunately, the planet is beyond the point of sending down a landing party to investigate. Alara soon arrives with Bordis and Clyden. Ed informs Clyden of his punishment, but he and Bordis make a case that he was only following Mocklin customs. As a result, Ed changes the punitive action to having the two of them attend couples counseling with Dr. Finn. You gotta be politically correct in some ways, and I think because it's Mocklin culture, you can't fault him for it. Yeah, it's it's the weird, it's the same issues they had with Topa because it is their custom and they're Mm -hmm. trying to be accepting, but also... This is a union ship, so union rules. You can't go around stabbing people. And I agree with that. Yeah. But I also, I think, you know, Clyden doesn't, Clyden doesn't really follow union policy. Clyden's by Mocklin culture. Yeah. So I, I mean, Bordis stood up for Clyden though and said, we, I am, throw my name in there because Clyden didn't do anything wrong. He just was doing what's normal for us. But I, I'm so glad couples counseling was a thing that happened. <laughs> also in the scene, I know how much you love the little details. How cool are the uh, Soleil and Blossom whiskeys? I wrote that down. I said the whiskeys. I know it was like a, just a small scene, but I love ink drop in water, like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it was similar to that. So I was a fan of, I don't know, seeing just the cool things that are in the future. Yeah. And, you know, yes, they're day drinking, but they're doing it in style. So... I approve. <laughs> they just look so cool. It's such a cool concept to have like the swirl between the two drinks going on and everything. And I imagine it's something mm-hmm. you almost have to have with somebody else or else it's just not the same. Yeah, because one's red, one's blue. Yep. And I thought that I was like, oh, wait, she said two Soleil and Blossom whiskeys. Why are they two different colors? Mm-hmm. And I just like you said, I think it's like something you do together. Yeah. Like a headcanon <laughs> thing. There. You can only drink those together. So... In counseling, Claire explains what the purpose of the counseling is and takes them through a series of exercises. Clyden is particularly excited by the idea of a fun list. Oh, yeah. Clyden was great in these scenes. He was. I did like when Boris was like, do we select our own weapons? <laughs> like, <laughs> And I thought the dialogue and the writing in this scene was really good. Mm-hmm. And the way that it was delivered from Dr. Finn as well as uh, Clyden and Bordis. I really enjoyed the interaction and... This is such a foreign concept to to Bordis and Clyden Mocklins, and I I just really enjoyed seeing Clyden's actual excitement about a fun list. Yeah, a fun list. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this excites me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like when they leave, and Clyden said, "Shall we make our fun list over dinner?" It just made my heart happy because yeah. I was like, they might work it out. Like it might be okay. As much as we saw Clyden like go to the extremes of stabbing him, he really does want this to work. I think it's because he actually cares about Bordis. Yeah. Like he loves Bordis and that's where it all stems from. And it's hard to like see that when he's yelling all the time or the aggressive nature in which he communicates, mm-hmm. but it's just who he is and it comes from a place of caring. Yeah. As much as I love the scene, I also had the thought too that like, is this the best use of Dr. Finn's time? Like I know they wanted her to do this because she's one of the core cast and it makes sense to give mm-hmm. her more screen time. But like from just a standpoint of there's got to be someone else more qualified to provide counseling on the ship than pulling the chief medical officer away from whatever she's doing. There's not really a Deanna Troy of the ship there isn't, so far. But, 
So maybe Dr. Finn kind of fits in that. But even like Nurse Park, because like you're taking the chief medical officer away. Yeah. I wonder if it's because, like you said, there's obviously the screen time actors like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But if it's because Bordis is a more ranking officer. Maybe. Maybe. But even like Picard or Riker would go to Troy and be like, hey, like you're the counselor. This is your job. Mm hmm. I do think that's interesting, but maybe the ships never really had to encounter something. It can't be the first pe- like marriage that hasn't been. No, there's I mean, like look 300 people yeah. on the ship. There's got to be somebody who can do it. Maybe someday we'll meet the elusive <laughs> Orville counselor or they'll be, they'll come aboard sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> As they exit counseling and Clyden heads toward their quarters, Bordis heads right back to the simulator <sighs> without. A hesitation whatsoever after being stabbed and brought back from the brink of death no hesitation just boom mm-hmm. it's definitely an addiction and he just i mean at this point he can't control himself mm-hmm. but it is sad because they just so much just happened and he's just mm-hmm. like i whatever yeah he doesn't break stride no but as soon as they part ways that's where he's going it's crazy it's it's later on other things are revealed that make sense as to why, but it does not. For me, I'm like, you just got out of couples counseling. Yeah, that's kind of a weird time to be like, yep, time to go get my rocks off. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, in the sim that caused all these problems in the first place. But at that point, he had not still been fully honest. Mm-hmm. Bordis becomes bored with the simulation before it's complete and approaches Lieutenant Unk in engineering, knowing that his species is famous for creating highly sought-after pornographic simulations. Because that's a good reputation to have. Man. He requests one that features many Mocklins all at once. Willing to be adventurous. Yes. <laughs> I I loved the alien, Lieutenant Unk. Like, he was mm. neat. That was a cool costume. and Very different. Yeah. It's just interesting that, you know, a, like a ranking officer is just like, can you get me some porn? And he's like, yeah, man, I got you. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's... And like he was like, yeah, I'll get it to you really quick. And like, I, I can hook you up. No problem. And then they both just go back to work. Do you want some pills, too? I know. What? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's just something where Bordis is in such a desperate place mm-hmm. that he's he's putting his job on the line at this point. I think that's what they're trying to show us, really, like his level of desperation just to satisfy this addiction yeah. that he has. And boy, do those things have consequences. <laughs> <laughs> Upon further investigation, Isaac discovers that the subterranean civilization is still active. Though audio only, Alara manages to create a link to communicate with them. Mercer speaks with Minister Thies and learns that the Nixian people sought refuge underground when they discovered that the sun would engulf their planet within 100 years. Ed says they'll do what they can to help, so John and Isaac make a plan to reinforce the shuttle deflectors so they can take the trip. It's like a race against time. For this now. It's just like the stakes just like got higher. Super quickly. Yeah. As soon as they realize that there are people down there. Yeah. And they were already like, we don't even have time to go investigate just for science sake. Mm -hmm. But now we need to go save people. And it just added us like the the weight of the episode just got a lot heavier. And you realize like, oh, like I, I remembered this episode, but I. And I remembered this part of the episode, but I didn't Mm -hmm. remember them being together. Honestly, same. And so then when I was watching it, I was like, damn, because there's just a lot that gets unraveled through the rest of this episode now because of that. Yeah, very true. Lieutenant Ung delivers the program to Bordis, and he immediately heads to the simulator to use it. Meanwhile, in the mess hall, 
Gordon and John are attempting to get something to eat, but the food synthesizer generates a pile of sludge instead. That looked disgusting. Super disgusting. And the fact that Gordon even touched Uh it, I was like, oh, God. Like, don't put your finger. You don't know what that is. Yeah. It's it's so crazy to see the allegory of the porn virus infiltrating this ship full of like 300 people and affecting Mm -hmm. the software and the ability to do things and... But Bordis didn't think about that because he's just trying to. He's got tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. It just it with the, especially with the situation that's now unfolding on the planet. Yeah, like not really a good time to have porn virus kind of take over things. So <laughs> <laughs> really not. Yeah. In the simulator, Bordis is enjoying himself with a group of Mocklins when Clyden enters and catches him. Back in counseling, Claire talks to the two of them about porn addiction. Digging into the matter further. Bordis realizes that he holds resentment toward Clyden for the decision to make Topa undergo the procedure. I feel for Clyden because he finds Bordis in that situation. And that's another where I'm like, oh, it's a simulation and not just like a computer. Like, it's just it's mm-hmm. more visceral than yeah. walking in on somebody on a computer. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I feel like even though I don't see it super different than like watching something mm-hmm. from a technical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, I can see how someone would be way more offended by that. Yeah. And because I believe Mocklins are so resilient, I think that that helps in this situation. Clyden, like Clyden, I was proud of him. He just walked away. Like he could have murdered him again or did something. And like even in, yeah. the, in the counseling, he said, I would stab you again right now kind of thing. Yeah. I understand that Bordis has been upset about changing Topa, but... The way he went about it still wasn't okay or healthy. Agreed. Yeah. I do like that they are bringing that up again. I like that it wasn't just a one and done. Like a lot of Trek episodes wanted to be contained within their 45 minutes. Yeah. And then when it was over, everything kind of reset back to where they were when they first started it. Mm -hmm. And things would come up here and there, but not nearly as much as they do on the Orville. So they're definitely bringing up things from past episodes that are like, yeah, Everything was great at the end, but there's still this lingering thread that just hasn't gone away. Yeah, and it, I mean, the honesty, though, I think is the first step for them healing. But I think Bordas was very guarded, and now it's manifested in a way that he can't hide it anymore. Yeah. While Ed is checking in with Minister Thies, a weird glitch causes them to lose the connection. Gordon points out the glitch in the synthesizer, and Isaac runs a diagnostic between the two. He discovers a computer virus in the system, originating within the environmental simulator from a program uploaded by Bordis. Ed and Kelly head to the simulator to access the program and discover Bordis's cove of pleasure. <laughs> I won't lie, like these are some of my favorite scenes just because like the simulation's still gonna run and it's just Ed and Kelly and he's just walking up to them like we just want to serve you kind of thing. They're just like, wow. Can you imagine like <laughs> From a professional standpoint, how awkward that would be. It's like leaving porn on your computer oh. and then like leaving work for the day and someone goes back and turns your monitor on is like, whoa. <laughs> that is like the, the cringiest thing. And it makes me go inside myself. Like I just, oh, that's, yeah. it's just, it is what it is. And now they just got to deal with it. <laughs> also, uh, computer virus being attached to porn. Not the newest concept, but totally makes sense mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and I think, I think it's a really neat, I, I know the concept of the episode is like porn addiction, but it's a neat yeah. concept to explore. Yeah, to also have it, like you were saying, it's kind of like a way of saying, 
hey, this addiction is infecting everybody around you. Mm -hmm. And the computer system in which we need to rely on. And Mm -hmm. now they have to fix it. But it also is interesting to show that even in the future, there's bad things attached to specific pornographic things. And so and it can still happen. (laughs) Yeah, it hasn't stopped yet. I was waiting for some sort of there was going to be like a, a nefarious point to the virus and like Lieutenant Unk needed to go. Oh. And there was like a whole mission going on in the shadows. But I guess none of that happened. No, I, I think he's still uh, serving people up on the engineering. <laughs> Gosh. Hooking people up with all their needs. All their in pills. So. In the briefing room, the senior staff discusses the issue. Isaac has written a program that should counter the virus. John reports that the shuttle is ready, but Dr. Finn points out that radiation levels will be lethal to anyone on the crew except for Isaac and Bordas. So the rescue mission is in their hands. It was interesting, too, because in this meeting, Ed's like, we're going to have an awkward conversation later, Bordas. And um, he's like, I'm ashamed. And he's so stoic that you don't see it. But yeah, that would be so humiliating in a lot of ways. But, you know, he steps up now because he's got to go through this mission. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that he has a radiation tolerance. Mocklins do have a very rugged exterior, so it does make sense yeah. for sure. And their planet is so like just harsh that it makes mm. sense that maybe they have that built in. Yeah. As the shuttle makes its way to the planet, Isaac asks Bordis about his porn addiction and what the compulsion feels like. The two arrive on Nixia and meet its inhabitants. The interaction between Isaac and Bordis was very interesting. And it was in a way I thought Boris's explanation was very eloquent. Yeah, it really was. It was interesting for him to explore that from such an intellectual level when he's in the grips of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, Isaac is just trying to understand it. And then he just says things. Well, it's a good thing you're in therapy kind of thing. Yeah. But it is interesting that Boris was even entertaining answering the question. He was resistant mm-hmm. at first. And then. I think saw it as a way to kind of vent a little bit, knowing that Isaac would have no judgment. Yeah. So it it was just an interesting way to bridge a gap there, I think, mm-hmm. and yeah. have a thoughtful discussion about it. And it was a way to show for the show to show some, for the show to show some empathy yeah. for addiction mm-hmm. in general. I thought it was a really Yeah, I just I actually thought that was a very nice way of describing addiction. Yeah. And like it was very thoughtful. And I mean, yeah, like it was lightened up right away with Isaac making a joke. But Mm -hmm. I I thought that was a very well written scene. Yeah. I am curious to know how it feels. It is. A call. From deep within, like a baby seeking its mother's teat. It feels as if nothing else in the world matters but satisfying the urge and achieving the goal my body has demanded of me. Then, as quickly as it began, it is complete, leaving a worn-out shell in its wick. And the only feeling I am left with, the only thing I know is that A death has occurred. I see. It is prudent that you are in therapy. Prepare for landing. Back on the Orville, the virus continues to spread, despite Isaac's counter-program. 
At the same time, Gordon's scans show that the planet is breaking up faster than they expected. Yeah, I just the time accelerated and now they only have time for one trip. The ticking clock just started Ugh. speeding up on the bomb like you see in movies, mm-hmm. like it's going normal. And then all of a sudden someone pulls the wrong wire and it just starts speeding up. That's where we are now. Yeah. And I just remember during this episode going like, wait, they really only can. Because in a lot of shows, they save everybody. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, they can't save everybody. And that, mm-hmm. I think, illustrated something important to Bordis, but also from an audience perspective, that's heavy. It was a bold choice. Yeah. They are still trying to rescue people, but she had to do a lottery and pick specific people who could go. And Mm -hmm. her husband and her own child she sent without herself because she wanted someone else to go. It's just that whole thing, while it's being kind of like a B storyline, was still very powerful. Yeah. There's a quick exchange here that I actually really like, just the delivery of it. Mm-hmm. When Gordon was like, Captain, we have another problem. And Ed's response of, oh, neat. What is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so frustrated. Like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's just stuff is not working out on their side. And now yeah. they have to make some hard decisions. I just really enjoy that line delivery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isaac informs Bordis of the news from the Orville. Despite the 75 people they've come to rescue, the accelerated breakup of the planet leaves time for only one trip, which will only save 30 of them. The Nixians decide to use a random lottery process to choose their 30, and they load them onto the shuttle. Thee says goodbye to her family as Bordis looks on. The shuttle departs the planet moments before it's completely destroyed. And that's when you realize, like, these people are now gone. Yeah. Uh, there is an, an interesting moment, though, where Bordis looks back for quite a while. Like, kind of, I think he's reconciling things and mm-hmm. realizing some things within himself that need to change. Like, it's a pivotal moment for him as a character. Yeah. And there's been some emotional stuff on the show to this point. Mm-hmm. But I think watching Thies say goodbye to her family is probably, like, the saddest thing we've seen so far. Yeah, and it was, I mean, I don't know, like, I can't even find words for it because, like, she's so at peace with it, and then he's obviously not, but she wants him to have a future, and she's choosing to not. Like, it's a final goodbye. You will never see that person again. Right. And you know that they're dead. It's so heavy. I know. With the shuttle back on the Orville, Mercer orders them to depart, but Gordon reports that Helm is not responding due to the virus. The planet's gravity well is pulling the ship in. With six minutes to their own destruction, Isaac makes his way to the simulator to assist Lamar. Isaac successfully destroys the virus, restoring control of the helm, and Gordon steers the ship away just in time. Way to go, Bordis. Um, (laughs) No, like, of course, the timing of this. And then I will say our good friend Dan is back. I know I noticed you didn't mention Dan. Um, (laughs) Hi, I'm Dan. Oh, God. (laughs) I love Dan. But just that they're... John and Dan are in there trying to fix it, and the Mocklins are just, like, all over them. It was hysterical <laughs> to me. I love that one of them grabbed John's butt, and he just smacks him away. He's like, I don't have time for this right yeah, now. Yeah, he's like, I'm not thirsty. And then yeah. um, when Isaac goes in there, and they're, like, licking Isaac's helmet. And, it's so ridiculous. But I, it's funny, because the program is just for that purpose, and they don't know that. And it's just, comedically, it's funny, but, like, the tension's high. Yeah, it's actually a time where I thought the comedy and the tension meshed really well. Mm-hmm. I just can you imagine the actors like this is another thing like the Mocklin body makeup, how long that must have taken. Oh, yeah. 
but just on top of it, just it was funny. Like they, yeah. they did a good job. Yeah. In sick bay, Doctor Finn examines Bordis and gives him a clean bill of health. Mercer is justifiably angry with him and how he selfishly put the entire crew in danger. Bordis tenders his resignation, but Ed rejects it. Instead, he commends Bordis for bravely putting his own life on the line to save 30 others. I wonder what you think about this. Ed's response to it? Mm-hmm. It's, oh boy. The fact that, like, yeah, Bordis did his job, but that's also Bordis's job. Mm-hmm. Putting your life on the line. That's what they do. So the fact that he did it is super heroic, but it's also what's expected. He did jeopardize the entire crew. Yeah. And the ship. But at the same time, I think Ed realizes that it's the addiction. He can't hold Bordis 100% responsible for something that is possibly out of Bordis's control. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that I think also by the fact that he was resigning, that shows his remorse. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just being like, well, I'll be on, on work tomorrow or whatever, it was like, I'm ready to leave because I, I know what I did. So I think that yeah. probably played a part in it also. Totally. It shows that he gets it. Yeah. And I I just thought it was interesting because he did put the ship at risk, but I think there's a lot of pieces to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Bordis realized, like, I screwed up and embarrassed myself. And I think one of the easiest ways to learn a lesson is to publicly humiliate yourself. So Yeah. Yeah. The fact that nobody did die as a result. Be, I mean, the well, people on the planet, I, <laughs> but that's not a result of the virus. No. That didn't actually affect their ability to save the people they could. Can you imagine if that was why Ugh. all those people died? Oh, If that were the reason, then yeah, Bordas, you're gone. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But the fact that they all came out unscathed in the end, I think, makes it easier to be like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you screwed up, but we, we made it through. So. Yeah. Back in his quarters, Bordis apologizes to Clyden for being a bad mate. He goes on to say that he may never fully be at peace with what happened to Topa, but based on recent events, he realizes how fortunate he is to have them both in his life. Yeah, it's probably more of a just kind of reconcile what happened and you have to move forward and you can't fix it now. So you just Mm kind of have to make the best of it. But I am glad that they worked things out because I do think Clyden and Bordis are a fun couple. And I also root for Topa, so... You want to make sure he gets raised right. He's got to get raised right. (laughs) Too messed up. Yeah. Okay, then. What is your final takeaway from Primal Urges? For an episode that is essentially based on porn addiction, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really well done, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well-written. Like I said, with the shuttle conversation with Isaac, it's very eloquent at times. It could Mm -hmm. have been very crude. And as much as you can be with um, erotic simulations, it was still very classy. I don't know. Like, it was done in a way that was tasteful and funny. And also, the episode had a lot of deeper meaning, deeper discussions than you would expect from something this topic because mm. it deals with yes porn addiction but there's the whole stuff on the planet then the marriage aspect of things and dealing with with issues within that and it wasn't just that oh i'm addicted to to porn it was because of things that have happened in season one with topa yeah. and i just i i really like the callbacks to things but the character development i thought was really good and I, 
Yeah, I just felt like it was a an episode that could have been really crude, but it they did a good job with it. Mm, agreed. From a general audience standpoint, believe it or not, this is the lowest rated episode of the series. It's probably people getting upset about things. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't agree with it being the lowest because we both watched Cupid's Dagger. Yeah. And this is not Cupid's Dagger. No. This is way better than mm-hmm. that. I think it's just people getting upset about things. Yeah, I think so, too. It is, like you said, it's crazy to me how much this episode actually includes. We get one of the saddest moments we've seen so far with uh, Minister Thies and her family. Mm-hmm. And we get one of the most tense situations we've seen with the ticking clock of the planet and the Orville hurtling toward it. Like that was high tension. Yeah. And we've had some high tension stuff, but I feel like this was like the peak so far of mm-hmm. that. And that's all in an episode with Bordis's porn addiction. I Yeah. Like it is all over the place. And maybe that's what a lot of people felt. But honestly, I felt it just really did a nice job of illustrating the full scope of what this show can do. Yeah. Like, hey, here's an episode where we're mostly talking about this guy's porn addiction, but also here's a small civilization where half of them are going to die and some of the family members have to say bye to each other and we're putting the ship in a ticking clock, like super dangerous situation. Like the fact that they could weave all of that together is incredibly impressive. It is. It could have gotten very messy along the way and it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that is difficult to do. Yeah. I even give him credit because like you said, we have not seen someone explore this kind of topic Mm -hmm. before. And I give them credit for taking a joke that people have been making about the holodeck for years. Yeah. And turning that into an actual plot line that meant something. That's something I, I mean, like I said, it could have been done really crudely and like, Mm kind of like distasteful. If you will, and it, it just wasn't. It was done in a way that showcases addiction and yes, a humorous way, but how it can also be detrimental to relationships and your job. Like it just mm-hmm. has like so many layers to it. I've I've not seen an episode like this anywhere. No. No. And it was very well executed. So whatever the general consensus is, I, I certainly don't agree with that. I thought this episode was very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It was very successful in what it sought out to do. And again, the visuals were just amazing. Yeah. The CGI looked really good in this episode. Yeah. Now, something we hadn't talked about with this episode yet is that this is the leftover from season one. Mm -hmm. And there there is some evidence in this and there were some reshots done to make it work for season two. So like they left us on a very kind of cliffhanger with the last episode. We don't see Lieutenant Tyler here. No, we don't see Cassius here. Mm mm. So, like, all that is left behind, but they had to reshoot scenes with a grown-up Topa Mm -hmm. because that wouldn't have been in season one. And apparently there was also in the mess hall, they had to reshoot some scenes in there because they completely changed the tables between season one and season two. Oh, I didn't know that. And that would have been an inconsistency that they had to take care of. Yeah. And people would notice. They would. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. I I think it flowed well, though, with this season. Yeah. So, yeah, that is Primal Urges. Mm -hmm. But before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is a fan of the Orville as well and always leaves us with his one sentence review. Best line of the episode. 
And the only feeling I am left with, the only thing I know, is that death has occurred. Or, hi, I'm Dan. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.